Scorp is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dasha Kamenichi. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get so in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, spreading ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another great interview episode and I tease a little bit about our guest today being on wheels and being our first Tasmanian guest. Now before I actually talk a little bit about our guest I want to firstly apologize to our actual first Tasmanian guest that we had on the show just before the Tokyo Olympics a certain Tristan Thomas. So apologies first of all to Tristan and my uh, memory apparently slipping that uh, we had already had a Tasmanian on this show so uh, deep apologies going out there to Tristan Thomas but I'm not here to apologize the whole episode I'm here to introduce our guest and that is Georgia Baker a two-time Olympic from Rio and Tokyo in the sport of cycling and recently just returned from Birmingham where she won a lazy three gold medals at the uh, Birmingham Commonwealth Games. So it did all right out there. But this is a great chat with Georgia, learning a lot about her background in the sport, how she got into cycling, all the different sports she actually was really good at as a child and how a talent identification camp essentially discovered her ability in the sport of cycling and set her on this great path that she's had. We also learn a little bit about her background growing up in Tasmania and the small little town that she is from in the great state of Tasmania, as well as why it was actually uh, kind of a, a positive being so close to a velodrome and kind of how that helped her, as well as the transition between road and track and how that is something that she's switching a little focus to over the coming years, her times in Rio and, of course, in Tokyo and looking ahead towards Paris and potentially future Olympic Games in a different sport. I'm going to dangle that one there for you to uh, get excited for. But here is our chat with two-time Australian Olympic cyclist, Georgia Baker. It's always exciting to talk about the sport of cycling on Off the Podium and even more exciting when our next guest comes from my very home state. We are speaking to our first ever Tasmanian female athlete from the Olympics. Of course, I've clarified I have been wrong uh, advertising uh, her as our first Tasmanian athlete, but a two-time Olympian, a world championship gold and silver medalist, recently a triple gold medalist at the Commonwealth Games, and if my research is correct, only the second ever female cyclist from Tasmania at the Olympic Games, which all of these things we're excited to talk and cover about here on Off the Podium with the one, the only, Miss Georgia Baker. Georgia, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us on Off the Podium today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ben. Wow, there's some few stats there. Did I miss <laughs> I anything? Uh, do you want me to clarify <laughs> anything there? <laughs> I don't know. I just always want to make sure I get it right. I don't know. The there's a few that... <laughs> No, no, no. There's a few that are surprising to me. I'm like, oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm pretty sure like Amy was the first female cyclist from Tasmania, if yeah. my research is correct, and then you therefore are the, the second. So I think that's surprising that I thought there would have been more, but, uh, you know, you're in a select club there. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think myself. Um, I know that we've had some great female cyclists from Tassie, so that to me I was like, surely there's more than two. Um because we've had the likes of Belinda Goss um, and also like Rowena Fry on the on the mountain bike. So I'm unsure if she went as well. Um, I know that she was very close. Um, but, yeah, we've had some great Tassie athletes come through. We can we can clear that up. We can we can fix something there. Clearly, you know, as I, I've been promoting you as our first Tasmanian athlete, and poor Tristan, I completely forgot that we had him on the show about a year or so ago. So maybe my my research is kind of uh, losing its way a little bit. But Perth from Tasmania, which I'm, a lot of people probably 
aren't familiar with it, there is a, obviously a Perth in Tasmania as well, of mm. course, the more well-known one in, in Western Australia. So it's, what, about 20 kilometres south of, of Launceston, so kind of in that vicinity uh, and kind of a, a pretty pretty small town, of course. But, uh, I mean, uh, sell Perth for our listeners out there who, who need to learn about oh. the Perth in Tasmania versus the Perth in Western Australia. Yeah. I always get con- – a lot of people, especially in the cycling world, think that I'm from WA sometimes because I – I, I always say I'm from Tasmania, but I'm always like Perth, Tasmania. I always say I'm from <laughs> Perth. Um, so sometimes I've had a few races where I've been down as Western Australian. Um, wow. That was more so when I was a junior. But, no, Perth's a very small little town, um, and I grew, I've grown up there for most of my life. Um, it's really close to Launceston Airport, so only a five-minute drive. Um, but it's a really cool, like, yeah, very small little town, a really nice community, beautiful um, river running down it. And all my family grew up there when I was young. So, like, I was able to walk to my grandparents' house, to my cousins. Um, I went to Perth Primary School, so I was able to walk to school. Um, yeah, so I really loved it. It's only a 10-minute drive from Launceston, but also you feel like you're out of it a little bit, um, not out of in the busy Launceston. It's also, I mean, I kind of always remember it as if you are driving from Hobart to, say, Burnie or Devonport, it's the place that you kind of turn left at, basically, rather than going straight ahead kind of to, to Launceston in that point. But it's always fun to say when you're tr- driving somewhere in Tassie, I'm driving to Perth today, and people kind of look at you funnily going like, what, that, you can't drive there, There's that's a long drive. Yeah, I know. And a lot of people always say that actually, always like, oh, no, you can't, you go, you have to go to Perth to call in. It's like, there's such, I don't know, they're well renowned for a lot of things, especially the butcher shop. I have to give them a shout out, the Perth butcher <laughs> shop. My favorite sausages of all time are from there. <laughs> and and um, no, there's, yeah, the Perth pub, we've got, yeah, lots of things to see. And it's up and coming as well, like some nice little cafes there as well. So I think a lot of people drive out there on the weekends just to go to the cafe and yeah, um, I really like it. I live quite close as well to the main road, so I just walk across when I am home, get my coffee, come back, and then start my day. So, no, it's, it's I really like living there. And I would nice. be sad if – well, not sad. I think I really like Launceston as well, but I've always grown up in Perth. So if we ever decided to move, if my mum ever decided to move, it would be a little bit sad. Which it's always kind of fascinating. I mean, the reason sort of I bring this up a lot is that, I mean, you and I both know as Tasmanians, there's that kind of level of extra pride you have when it comes to talking about where you're from when you're overseas because automatically you're from Australia. Oh, you're from Sydney. You're from Brisbane. You're from Melbourne. And sort of when you mention you're from Tasmania, oh, I've never heard of that. Have you heard of the Tasmanian devil? Like, there's a whole string of sort of things that come from that, right? And then it kind of makes you be able to sell that we're from a very unique part of Australia that people maybe thinks fake or just has some weird cartoon animal that they didn't realize existed yeah no that's definitely true i've had to sell it like i'm always proud for, to be a tasmanian and but the more that i talk to people and especially cyclists they're just like oh wow you're from tasmania i've heard so many good things about that i really want to go there um so i think yeah definitely people it's on their bucket list of places to see the more people i talk to Good. We like that. That's uh, what we wanted to get put out there. It's it's fascinating, though, Georgia, your journey into cycling because you did a lot of sports when you were growing up. I believe you were quite an accomplished taekwondo uh, athlete, uh, triathlon, <laughs> you did swimming, you did netball, and obviously ultimately ended up in cycling. But it was a talent identification camp that sort of got you through into cycling, but you were quite doing okay in, in triathlon as well. So obviously one third of triathlon. Um, did you just like the yeah. cycling better when it came to triathlon? Yeah, that's funny actually. So I hadn't been doing, I had been doing triathlons for a couple of years. Um, and then through my school at the time, I got selected to try out for the talent ID program. And initially because with the talent ID program, they don't select you for sports that you're already participating in. It's just kind of like they don't want to step on anyone t- anyone's toes if you're already, um, you know, like playing netball. They want, don't want to select you for netball again because it could just be a little bit hard. And um, for me, I got selected for rowing and basketball. And cycling was I, – I really wanted to get selected for cycling because it was my favourite leg of the triathlon. And initially when I first started out, I wasn't that great, like – I used to just race on my mountain bike, my mountain star. Um, 
<laughs> and but I just remember that being my favorite leg um even though at the time it was probably my weakest and then because it was my favorite I, I trained on it trained for it a lot and when I got selected when I got the opportunity to go for the TID program I really wanted this to be my chance to get selected for cycling and I actually didn't initially I wow. was like oh no I, I didn't and I remember asking him I was so disappointed when I got the letter and it was like basketball and rowing and I'd played so much netball growing up and that was like one of my favorite sports and I was still playing it. So I, I was never interested in basketball and my parents were also like, we're not going to get you to be a rower because we don't want to take you at 5am to, <laughs> to, to the rowing sheds. And I, yeah, I never was super interested in rowing either. So I actually called them up and asked if I could just go along to the come and try day. Um, at the velodrome in Launceston and yeah they were like yeah for sure like we just didn't select you because you know you were doing triathlons we weren't sure how involved um the coaching was with that and yeah so I went along and from then it's really history like I loved it um I remember riding the velodrome for the first time and like my back wheel was slipping around around the boards and I remember my coach at the time Ron Bryan um he was like you need to pedal faster just keep pedaling faster and so I remember just going up there and sprinting, like, just so I wouldn't fall off the track. But um, no, it was, yeah, from then I just, I really was hooked on it. And yeah. Kind of the rest is history. Because I, mean, I can imagine yeah. on that, it's a, a daunting experience to see a velodrome. Uh, if anybody's been to a venue where there is a velodrome and you see it up close and personal, it is a very daunting thing to see just how steep it is. So, I mean, I can imagine that, mm. you know, judging on what you were saying there, there's a, a little bit to it that when you get on your bike, it's like, okay, maybe you need to go a bit faster. Yeah, 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 definitely. I remember, like, I used to go and watch the racing, like especially the Launceston Carnival. I remember at Christmas time, I used to go watch it and I was stand up on the fence and just like look down and I was just amazed at how they could actually ride the velodrome. I was like, how do they do this? This is crazy. Like it's so steep. Um, and then when I got the opportunity to do it myself, I was like really nervous and I just started around the bottom and then slowly moved onto the straights and cause the straights aren't as steep as the bank as the um, bends. So then I would come down just before the bends and then initially, then by the end, my coach was like, nope, you're not coming down again. You've got to keep going around the bends. And I was like, oh my God. And then <laughs> once you get around the first time, you're like, it's just, yeah, you're fine. This is the very, very first lap. I can imagine. Well, when it sort of comes to that, I guess, being identified for cycling, is it an automatic thing of, I want to do track cycling, hence why you say go to uh, the Silverdome to do that? Or is it sort of an option where you can sort of look at more, uh, you know, road cycling or um, even mountain biking at, at that stage? Um, yeah, well, for me, it was just that. I think the, the program at the time was looking for more track cyclists. Um, and I, I reckon it does change depending, you know, like it all comes from the top. So depending on where we're winning our Olympic medals and things like this, I think that kind of dictates which area you want your development coming from um and but also in saying that I was selected as a track cyclist but an endurance cyclist so I would never just only was on the velodrome like I also trained a lot on the road and a lot of my training was also like a road racing um and it was my like I had to go and represent um my state and also yeah Tasmania at the national championships on the road. So I had the opportunity to do both, um, which I was lucky to do. Which, I mean, we obviously just saw at Birmingham, you did all right kind of in both of those to uh, to get a couple of gold medals. Because I don't know if I'm correct in saying this, but it doesn't seem like many people cross over much. I sort of remember growing up a little bit more, maybe watching the Olympics, that it seemed to be a lot mm. more people. But, I mean, is that a case now where it's not as common to see sort of a, a track cyclist giving a crack at the points race or, or the road races they maybe used to? Yeah, um, I think it, there was a time, like a few, like this last kind of two cycles, like two Olympic cycles where it was very much so you're a track cyclist or a road cyclist and that was kind of what you focused on. And I think um, being from Australia, it does make it in some ways a little bit harder and challenging um, to do both because if you wanted to f fully focus on the road, you have to be in Europe because this is where the racing is and the racing is so different um, than Australian racing. So you have to be living in Europe. 
but at the time our track program is based in Australia so it's really hard to juggle both like that it's impossible to go to and from Australia and travel for racing um it's just not feasible so we just kind of made I made the decision to focus more on the track and I don't know I never really I suppose it wasn't a decision it's just the way my path the path I took kind of led me towards the track more um but now I think we've seen so much success coming from athletes that have pursued both the road and the track at the same time and hopefully moving forward now we can see that yeah you can actually combine them and just needs to be the right environment and the right support from um our organization to allow us to do that and I think yeah I think the Commonwealth Games was as a really good um eye-opener to know and to have confidence within like our athletes both track and road that we can do both and yeah there's been some really good success especially at the last Tokyo Games um the uh, Germany was a great example you know the girls that won the team's pursuit they are all pro road cyclists as well and they transition um from the road and the track a lot and it just has it's just been a little bit hard given our location in Australia to be able to do that so now hopefully we can have some momentum moving forward and can support both disciplines and I can also imagine too just with the the track aspect velodrome isn't exactly an easy venue to uh to build and it's not like it's a, a footy oval or, or a road even for like a bike we can no. just jump on it so and obviously being a bit lucky living sort of near one i mean i know when i lived in new zealand uh, new zealand had two in the entire country i lived near one in invercargill so sort of uh was lucky in that vicinity but i can imagine that where a cyclist is based is a big key factor in that and if they want to maybe focus more on the velodrome aspect i can imagine moving near one probably also helps a little bit Oh, yeah, definitely. The Invercargill Velodrome, actually, by the way, it's very nice. I like it's one of it, my favourite velodromes. Not I bad like for one. a small little city, uh, is it? Like, it's actually yeah, quite good. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. I remember racing there and they put, like, the big heaters onto the track as well to make it faster. It's oh, like, nice. Just big heaters. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I've raced there a fair bit. But, yeah, I think, yeah, where your location is definitely depends on kind of what you pursue. And with me, like, I was lucky that I was near a velodrome 15 minutes away. Um, but also when you get to our, when we, when I got to a certain level, um, and, you know, making the AIS and the high performance unit for cycling Australia, I then moved, um, to Adelaide because that's where we were based and we had the Superdrome there. So we we're all located really close to that. And the road training in Adelaide is also great. So it's just, it is hard to find the perfect combination of having really good roads to train on and also having a velodrome close by. So, it's, yeah, it's it is a unique aspect. Like it's kind of, uh, you know, a lot of people cycle, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, pastime that a lot of people do. But, yeah, that competitive level, because um, I, I can imagine like as someone like me who just sits here and, and does this for a living, I could say, oh, well, you're riding a bike. What's the difference? You're on a flat piece of road versus a slightly uh, slanted piece yeah. of, uh, you know, wood and, and materials like that. But um, I can imagine it's a little bit more complicated than that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's and depending on which what type of rider you are as well. Um, if you're a track sprinter, for example, it doesn't so much matter because a lot of your training is done on the velodrome and um, also in the gym. But if you're an endurance track rider, the road is super, super important. Like probably, seventy oh, percent of our training is also done on the road. So you need to make sure you have like good and safe roads around to train on and. Yeah, and sometimes where velodromes are located, unfortunately, it's kind of in that area where they can fit a velodrome. So it's like in an industrial part of, you know, a, a city or something like that. So, yeah, it is hard to find the ideal location. Which, again, it just back on the Invercargill, I mean, I went there for work and it just baffled me that a, such a small city had a, had a facility like that because it was... Um, you know, people don't know much about Invercargill. It's probably half the size of Launceston and it's sort of, you know, uh, right at the very bottom of New Zealand. So the fact <laughs> that they had that and quite a, yeah, as you said, a good one. I was there for the, the Oceania Championships back in 2019 and um, just to see that level of competition that was there in, in a place like that while, you know, growing up in Tasmania, you, you know, you'd be lucky to get certain events at the best of time. So it was incredible that that facility exists in a place like that and gets great events that they do. Yeah, definitely. I really love Invercargill. I, I thought it was, 
I, I, but I haven't, like, I've only been there a couple of times, but I just loved, I just got good memories of the track. So that's probably why I like it. But it's, yeah. it's an interesting no, place to live. I'll, I'll say that. Um, I don't okay. want to <laughs> disparage anybody from listening who's listening in Invercargill, but um, I mean, it's yeah. a, you're, you're like halfway between Dunedin and, and uh, Queenstown. So, you know, if you want to go away for the weekend, it's only a couple hours up the road and, you know, not a whole lot to do in Invercargill versus those places, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, I have heard lots of stories about Invercargill, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't want it's, to hang yeah. out in Chicago either. No, we don't want to do that. We 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 definitely want to don't want to do that at all. But I mean, just sort of on that level, you're talking about sort of endurance versus sprint. Is that when you're in that talent identification program? Is that where they can identify you that you are probably more suited to the endurance versus the sprint? Yeah, definitely. Um, you do a lot of testing um, on like the walk bike, which is a stationary bike, and you just yeah, they'll do like a short some sprints um, and they'll see kind of more like your peak power and then they'll do just testing in different ranges. So it could be like a two-minute test, a four-minute, a 10-minute and a 20-minute. So you just kind of you get your whole range of power and kind of what in that. Um, and I just remember um, like I just remember going there and I just had standards like not even proper shoes and go in a test as you can go and so wow. my yeah I think my 20 minute was one of the better out of all those different tests I could have done so that's why they thought okay well George is more an endurance athlete but then I also didn't I also had an okay sprint so it was like that track endurance was more my pathway which on the long term of things had you sort of with all the sports you were playing and everything at that point had you dreamed of an Olympics was this something that you used to watch as a child and go that's something I would I'd love to achieve or did that sort of come later as you progress through in cycling oh no like from such a young age I was obsessed with the Olympics um I think you know growing up you know when you're a little kid and everyone's like oh I want to be a doctor an astronaut or whatever um I was mine was always an Olympian or I was just a sports person I just was obsessed with sport I used to write like little spreadsheets and watch the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and, you know, had all my different highlighters for, like, records that they'll do. And at the time I also used to swim a lot, so I was obsessed with Ian Thorpe and watching him and, yeah, everyone in the pool pretty much. So, But I also loved all different sports, so I'd just stay up and try and watch them as much as I could. And, yeah, so for me, like, going to the Olympics, I've always been, like, a childhood dream was for me to be an Olympian. so, yeah, and I never knew, like I always played netball and I knew that that was never an Olympic sport, but I just, I, it didn't really, like I never, it never crossed my mind that, oh, what I'm doing, it's I'm not going to go to the Olympics because I only did things that I really enjoyed and really loved. It's more like when I came to the and cycling and um, what I wanted and I could see enjoyed more um and where i could see my future going um that's where i kind of went more in the cycling direction which i could also imagine too for for most children who were around for sydney you're obviously what about six i think during uh sydney olympics i mean is that something too that kind of spurs that on a a little bit too you do you remember much of, of the sydney olympics at all yeah i remember we were in sydney at the time um on a family holiday and I remember, like, we never – I don't think we got to – I was really young, but I remember some things. I remember I got a collectible Barbie doll that was dressed in the Olympic nice. uniform. And I also was obsessed with, like, um, the mascots. So I have, like, at home, which is still in their packets. I don't know what was wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I mean, That's, like, keep them. They're like, great. All these, um, <laughs> yeah, but then – like that's the thing is I've got this display folder at home and since I was six these like Olympics and like postcards and all these things that I was never allowed to use or open or touch and I remember being like these would be worth a lot of money one day or just just hold on to them and so they're all they're all at home so like as a kid I'm like buying things just to like never ever play with or never use um but I'm like one day they'll be worth a lot of money and so I've got this like Barbie doll which is still in its box so 
That's I, I love yeah, I, I love hearing I that. that. So anything because, I can get my hands on. Yeah, I, I very similar in the fact that I've got boxes of just Sydney two thousand books and pins and I've probably got the the mascots as well and I would keep results in books and everything like that. So it's I'm glad I wasn't the only person. I thought I was like it. I thought oh, I was really? just that that weird kid who did things. So I'm glad, Georgia, that you can admit this on air today no, because it makes me feel weird. a little bit okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> No, you found someone like, yeah, I know I'm the same because I haven't found anyone else that, that had, had done the same. So it makes me feel less weird as well. Good. I'm glad. I actually, I think when I was going through some stuff, I have um, a whole folder of all the newspaper lift outs from Atlanta. They used to have a daily like lift out of results and sort of, uh, you know, highlights and everything in the, in the major newspapers. So I've still got that. And I think they did it up to Athens. I think I've got like it from Atlanta, Sydney and Athens. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, like the good old lift outs. That's that a great have. collection. Yeah. It's weird, but it's, I'm with you. Like it's, it's, I mean, uh, money or not, like it's, it's a great thing to look back on and, and, you know, yeah. share along the way and kind of, that journey because it's 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 different now with the internet isn't it you don't really have maybe as many lift outs or magazines that they used to do back then because now it's all online no definitely and even just like going to the olympics it's like we never we got a little mascot like a little um boxing kangaroo and then yeah but that's it and i was like oh surely like some stickers or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you go crazy for the pins, like, though, I, I can imagine. These <laughs> Pardon? I sure you go crazy for the pins, like when you're trading the pins and that yeah. to collect them all, right? Yeah. Everyone goes crazy for the pins. Like even at the Commonwealth Games, everyone's just like trading pins. Um, yeah, but like at the Olympics, it was, yeah, I thought we'd get just like the, the little stickers, but we did get a lot of a lot of things. So um, we are very fortunate in that way, but just not like the little um, – collectible stuff i suppose we did trade them a lot which i i mean look i love this topic of conversation because i mean i i worked at the commonwealth games in 2018 and little i kept everything like even if i just got a you know a brochure saying welcome to the team or like here's your guide of what you work like i've got it all i kept it all i mean with everything in mind do you do that with like you know rio like here's a letter you're going to the olympics and here's your guide for the village and like i mean do you just keep everything then as well to kind of go along with this olympic collection that you're sort of building up over the years I feel like there's been times where i've just given things in different locations and urban um i don't know i'd hate to think that i'd lost that like I don't know, that hobby um, of like being obsessed with the Olympics. But I, yeah, went, once I made the Olympic team, I don't know, it was, it was different. Um, I still was obsessed with it, but it was like a different kind of, uh, like, yeah, it was a different approach than when I was younger. But I still have like obviously a lot of things and a lot of suitcases. I think we're overwhelmed by the amount of things that you get that you're just like, whoa, like, yeah, so much stuff. What was that build up like in, in getting selected for for Rio? Because obviously we'll talk about what happened sort of just before Rio in a moment. But I mean, junior world champion uh, did quite all right in that uh, level of things. The senior team, fifth in the team pursuit at the world championship, sort of in the lead up to that. So I mean, kind of through everything that you'd gone through from being selected to then going through to, to Rio, I mean, that whole period to then becoming an Olympian sort of uh as we're just talking about, kind of realising a, a bit of a childhood dream. It must have been a pretty uh, crazy ride throughout in the lead-up to Rio. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a, a lead-up that was really, really quick, um, to be honest. Like, I didn't get selected to be a part of, like, the AIS or the A team in the AIS um, or even go on scholarship until the end of 2015. Um, it was, like, October 2015. And so you know, the Olympics of the following year, within six months, like just over six months, you're racing the Olympic Games. So it was, everything happened for me quite quickly. Um, I moved to Adelaide a few months before. Um, I did a lot of racing with the team at World Cups and then the World Championships, like you said, in London. And then after that, it was just like a massive whirlwind because it was like a staging camp. So the camp before the Olympics and then bang, 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 like, yeah, at the Olympics. So the build-up was really, really quick and not really a time where I had to um, to really think about, like, to sit back and think about it. And at the time, also our selections were uh, very late. So you don't know if you're going to the Olympics until, like, probably 
oh, I'd say like a couple months, two months before is the, uh, yeah, yeah, two months before. And then like that's all, then once you find out you're selected, you're like, oh, okay, like we don't have long now. Um, so it's hard to kind of, yeah, take things in at that at the time because everything's just so fast paced. And um, yeah, I suppose as well for me, like I was going through a lot. I just lost my dad. Um, so like that as well was like on top of getting selected. I never really had t- much time to just sit back and take any of it in. I also like just hooked on to the fact that I could potentially make the Olympics and just went with that and all my energy went into that, not any dealing with anything else. Or um, So I was just so motivated to get there that I was very, very tunnel vision. Um, yeah, and that was just kind of like all in, all my energy into trying to make the Olympics and while I was being there. Um, yeah. Which do you go in then with all of that in mind? Do you set a target? Do you sort of go in and go, well, we can get a medal. This is going to be great because, I mean, ultimately you – unfortunately get injured in a, in a crash sort of just beforehand you still compete mm. but I mean in the lead up before the crash were you sort of thinking that hey we're a realistic shot of a medal here it's, it's a medal or nothing I mean kind of what was your mindset going in with what you wanted to achieve yeah like our mindset was 100% gold medal um it was nothing like no if buts or maybes it was a gold medal and I think because the team not in the 2016 World Championships, but into the 2015 World Championships, the team um, won gold. So they were world champions in the team's pursuit. And I was just on the outside of, like, I wasn't in the team at that point. I only made the team, yeah, after that. And so we, the team was quite confident because we had had the results there. Fast. really well, um, definitely impacted our performance. Um, but yeah, to some, you never know to what degree. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely all in for the gold medal, and we knew that we had a really good chance at it. And so I don't think anyone on the team was thinking anything other than that. So how tricky was it with the crash in it, and maybe explain just a little bit, sort of what happened, and sort of how that then eventually mm. affected your performance in Rio. Yeah. So. Actually, the crash was um, my fault, which is really hard. To, was really hard to to deal with. Um, so we were coming in like it was three days before we raced, and it was just like one of our final hit outs. And when you're coming into three days before we race, you do like at the time anyway. We were doing really fast efforts, not very long, just like two efforts in one session. So they're very, very much like you have to be on for that effort and you don't get very many opportunities to do it again. Like they're fast paced, race pace efforts. Um, and we're coming in for a flying effort. So we're at the top of the track, all in a line, like for a team's pursuit effort. And then you come down just before the, the bend and then you start your effort. It's just like you, instead of starting from a standing start, you have the momentum from the top of the track. And um, as we're coming down, we're just like, you know, you get a really good run at the wheel coming down into the bend and everyone's kind of tucked in into the aero position um, before as you're coming down to the track. And I I think I was, I was third or fourth, fourth wheel at the time and I remember just like tucking in and then I must have got like them, you know, you're sitting very, very close to the wheel and there was a surge um, and I just ran at the wheel. I had no opportunity opportunity no chance to move I just remember like hitting the back of the wheel really quickly and not really any time to be able to like move in there um and not hit the wheel and I just hit it and then everyone behind me went down so no I wasn't fourth wheel then I must have been third or second because everyone went over the top of me because I hit yeah so um yeah, and then everyone just kind of went over the top of me and because we were going so fast, you're in the fastest part of the track as well and, um, yeah, everyone was just not in a very good way. I think Nettie was the only one that didn't crash because she was on the front, um, but everyone else crashed pretty bad. Um, yeah, it was horrible. Oh, I hate that. It still just makes me feel sick, that crash. I just, it was one of those things and I'm like, oh, God. Um, everyone was just really bad, like Mel um, – she was like on crutches and her leg just like blew up. She had a massive hematoma and it was not great. And Amy was like really sore through her ribs 
Ash with her shoulder. I'm pretty sure she did like something and pulled something really bad in her shoulder. I ended up being the one that like, I, I was really sore too, but because I felt like I caused a crash, I just was like, don't even worry about me. Like you guys focus. I didn't want to complain or say anything because I'm like, I'll just deal with it. Like I'm in pain, but I caused the crash. So yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things like it was, I just hit the wheel. It was momentum. And I don't know whether it wasn't my lack of concentration or whether it was a surge through the through the group and I just happened to be the one that hit it. Um, but, yeah, it was just not a nice feeling. And so then our mo- like afterwards I remember the bus trip home, I was like with our coach um, Gary Sutton at the time and everyone had to be like Mel went to the hospital to get looked at, like a lot of the girls went to the hospital just in case, just to get checked over. Um, and I remember just like it was just so silent on the way home and I'm like, oh, God, like my first Olympics, I knew that it was a couple of the girls were thinking of it would be their last Olympics as well. So they were very motivated to race really well here. Um, and, yeah, it was just it was not great. But I think it shows that, you know, we lined it back up the next day and on race day and, yeah, did the best we could and, yeah, it shows how tough our team was. I was going to say, I mean, ultimately fifth, not what you wanted if you're going for a gold medal, but based on that crash and no doubt the, the pain and the injuries that are caused, to, to come away with a fifth place, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, looking back now, like, yeah, that's cool. But because everyone was so focused on the gold medal, it was like, to, to everyone else, it was a massive failure. So at the time, it it was not, it wasn't good. So that made it really hard. And I felt like, and all our result was like focused on the crash. So then therefore it felt like, I'm like, oh God, if I didn't do that, it was just like, I was just kicking myself the whole time. Um, but yeah. And I know everyone makes mistakes and all of that, but I just was like, oh, Georgia, come on, like the first Olympics, you know? Um, but anyway, it's, We've, I've dealt with that now and it was a good result considering um, everything that we had to go through. And I'm sure it sets the fire, though, for, for the next cycle, basically. Uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. you think it's going to be a four-year cycle. It usually is, but obviously an extra year adds to that. But one thing before I sort of talk about Tokyo, not long after Rio, uh, you had to have some pretty serious surgery uh, for, for a, a heart condition, which, I mean, that sounds in itself a whole other situation I'm sure that you're not planning for I mean tell us a little bit about uh what happened there yeah um yeah I was definitely not planning for that one one either but I after Rio I got a professional contract with Orica Scott on the road so it was on my first um world tour contract and I was going to be moving to Italy um and living in a town called Gavarate and that's where our European training center is based so like a lot of rowers are based out of there too and I've been there for like probably a couple of months. Uh, no, not even that, probably a month. And it was one of my first races was the Tour of Britain. And I just remember like racing it and just feeling like I was having a heart attack. It was the stage one in the neutral section. So just like super easy. The race hadn't even started yet. So it's just like seven kilometres of, you know, the whole peloton just riding through the towns kind of and, it's just kind of your appreciation to the fans that have come out to watch. Um, and so it's super, e- super easy. Everyone's just rolling together behind the car. And, um, yeah, my heart rate was just really high. And I was like, oh, I know it's my first, like, big race, but I'm not really, like, that nervous. And, yeah, I was nervous but not, like, 170 beats nervous. And then I would just, like, chill. My heart rate would just drop a bit and then it would, like, come back up. And then I'd go up, like, a, a little climb and it would, like, really peak and I, I felt like it was like over 200 then, but I just couldn't see from my Garmin what it was. Um, and, yeah, so then I told a couple of my teammates and was like, look, I'm not feeling good. Um, do I tell the DS, which is our sport director, who's in the car following? And that, and I didn't want to do that because I knew that any issue with the heart, they're just going to be like, pull in, stop. And I didn't want it to be like me, like, over-exaggerating or mean like not thinking, you know, is this actually something? Because if I say 
then I won't be able to start the next day and we've got a long tour ahead. I don't want the team to be like a rather short. So then I was like just kept going for a little bit longer um, and just kind of thinking about it and, mo- and monitoring it. Now it was just like one little climb I went up and I was just like, oh, my God, like I had a really horrible feeling through my chest and I was like, no, I need to stop. Like this is not right. Like I just realised that, Georgia, don't be silly. Like this is like don't push yourself. Um, and I think I was – I didn't want to be – too stressed about it because given my dad had passed away from a heart attack as well I didn't that was also in the back of my mind like and I was like oh but like am I just like getting myself wound up about it or is it actually real um and then yeah anyway pulled over and I went to the hospital in the UK and after lots and lots and lots of tests um went back to Italy and then back to Australia um, to get more tests done, they found out I had SVT, um, which is where I can't say it properly, the actual proper name of it, but it's like a tachycardia. So my heart just will beat irregularly um, at random times. Wow. And that's, and, that's crazy. It's such a young yeah. age too that that gets discovered. Yeah. Like I was lucky that it got discovered and I had a um, – I was just getting it, the, the sensation like or the feeling every day. Um, so it might not be – you know, like I could go for a ride and not get it the entire training ride, but then I'd come home and be in the shower and then feel like, you know, I had to sit down in the shower because I couldn't stand up because of my heart rate or I couldn't wash my hair because like my my arms were aching or like I just, my heart rate was so high and yeah, it was, it was very weird sensation. But in saying that I, I suffered it, like looking back, I suffered it for a really long time and I just thought it was just me. Like I just generally thought, my God, well, that just, I must be really tired from training or, you know, I've had a really hard week. That's probably why. Um, Because for me in particular, a lot of my symptoms were sporting, like it was sport induced and exercise induced. So like after a hard session, I would feel it more. So I just thought it was my body recovering a lot of the time from sessions. But um, when I had, I had an ablation, so an operation just to remove the well, to burn out the little section of my heart that causes the short circuits. Um, yeah, and they found out it was actually um, so, like, hereditary. So, like, my my dad probably had it because my mum doesn't and my sister also has it. So, And my wow. sister had an ablation as well. So, And my kids will also have it. Wow. Jeez. That's, I mean, yeah. positive that you can sort of, find that and sort of know that now so that obviously yeah for your, for your children that you can sort of I guess be warned or know that sort of there's going to be a, a period where that goes there but I believe mm. I mean I believe you hit training two weeks after surgery and then less than a year you're at the mm. Commonwealth Games so I mean did it sort of slow you down was it a simple procedure enough that you could just literally get back on your bike and kind of pursue the uh the, the cycling dream more yeah it was like I I had a, I was very, very unfit, like, cause I had had all these tests done and everyone was very like cautious with me about not riding because of everything that happened with my dad. They just wanted to make sure that it was all well and good for me to be able to train hard and all of this. So I was very unfit, but I had like, given the time frame of having the operation and then getting back into training, it was, yeah, like two weeks max. Like I remember I had to have a a week off and that wasn't even because of like my giving my heart time to repair it was because I had um wires going through my groin so they needed my leg to stay like completely straight for a couple of days and I wasn't allowed to be in that um that position like you are on a bike um so I just had to wait a week and then after that I was able just to like get straight back into training um and because I was so unfit I just had to take things really slowly at the beginning and then yeah I was yeah full steam ahead after that Crazy, crazy to think that that can happen. And, and sort of in the lead up to Tokyo, as I said at the top, world champion 2019 in the team pursuit, you uh, get silver with Amy in the, in the Madison. So, which I've got to say, Team Tasmania, I mean, go go, you good thing that you and Amy can go out there and uh, be part of the, the team pursuit and then win a silver medal on the world stage. I mean, I, I bugger the medal for Australia. Can you just like classify that as a Tasmanian medal instead? I know, I know. And that was like, I reckon one of my favourite races. And the Madison at the time was a, very, was a very new event for the women. And I've always wanted to race the Madison with Ames. Um, and I remember before that, we we never got, like we had a few tr- training sessions together, but 
it was like anything where they like select teams very late. Um, we didn't know who was racing the Madison and what partnership they were going to go for. Um, and then when Amy and I got got put together, I was so keen um, and so pumped. And yeah, it was, I remember it was such a hectic race. It was like crashes <laughs> left, right and center. And we got through, I think, I think my foot might've unclipped it very early on. It got unclipped. And so I had to try and get it back in quickly. And there was just like so much going on, but to get um, silver was pretty cool. Obviously I would have loved to be world championship, world champion with Ames, but silver was pretty impressive and we were happy with that. Was it a bit disappointing then, obviously, with everything that got delayed, Amy didn't go to Tokyo? I mean, you do the you do the Madison, obviously, with Maeve, but, I mean, no disrespect to Maeve. She's a guest on this show. We love Maeve, but I'm sure deep down we're like, oh, Team Tassie, Amy, this would have been good at the Olympics. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I did the – I'd end up doing the Madison with Nettie, so that was okay at, at Tokyo, but – and that was good. I just never um, – like, with, with Ames, I knew that, like, the – the extra year and Amy has been like a phenomenal athlete for, you know, and for her whole career, you know, she's never really not been an athlete. Like she's always been in the high performance unit and always at the top of a game. So, so successful. So for her, it was like, um, you know, like it was a year, a year is a huge thing when you're getting towards the end of your career. And I think it's like full credit to Amy for like, being bold enough and brave enough to be like look I'm really like not enjoying it like I'm not in it my head's not in it my heart's not in it and I don't think I can get the most out of myself and it's not fair for my team if I just push through and I'm not fully enjoying myself um and that's super brave thing to do and I think we all really respected her even more like obviously we would have loved her there as well because she's she's super strong um uh, yeah but we're all really really close friends as well and so we're we were more, more we just care about each other not just as athletes and what they can do on the bike but if if they're happier doing that and you know being happier in life and your general well-being is a lot more important so yeah we were more than happy for Ames to do that and it was really inspiring actually for a lot of people because it is a really hard thing to do, I reckon, um, mm. with only a year left to go. And a lot of people are like, what, only a year to go? Like, can't you just hang on? And But, yeah, when you know your time's up and you've had enough, you've had enough. And, yeah. Yeah, which is it's all the stories you hear sort of of the athletes who, you know, ultimately a year helped them, you know, maybe helped them to win a medal. That's what they needed or things like that. They're ultimately, yeah, as you say, the other side of the story is a lot of athletes uh, just couldn't commit to that extra year and it's also it's a life choice mm-hmm. too isn't it when it comes to the fact that you know you, you're wanting to have a, a life post uh, a professional career start a family you know uh, all those sort of things so it's I can imagine it's all those decisions that go through your head about yeah whether you want to commit to another 12 months on something you shouldn't have to be given that generally mm. you would be competing in that year yeah definitely yeah I agree with what you said and it is hard which just on Tokyo itself I mean Fifth again in the in the team pursuit. You beat Italy again, so I mean, you know, obviously uh, traditional rivals there clearly in the cycling. But I mean, was it a, a similar situation going into Tokyo that it was sort of hopes of a goal? That was sort of where the team was at, and I can imagine if that was the case, leaving with fifth is uh, clearly a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, um, yeah, Tokyo was pretty hard. Um, like we also had the same expectations going into it. Um, I think I learnt from Rio that you just can't like completely just focus on like it's not like you can't just focus on getting a gold medal because if you do that you always end up so disappointed and you just got to focus on the processes and still really enjoy it and whatever like if you give your best whatever comes I know it's super cliche but whatever comes out of it you should be satisfied with but um we yeah, I think Tokyo was extra hard because two weeks before we left for Tokyo, we were in we did some trials in Brisbane, which is where we were having our staging camp, and we actually broke the world record in training. And we were like, everyone was super, super excited and super, super keen. Like, oh my god! Like we just did that, like training, you know? Like we did we did a trial, so it was like full standing teams for shoot, but you know we we thought, well, this is really good. Like everyone's really positive and moving forward. And once we got to Tokyo, I think we just got our training really dropped away. So potentially we're a little bit unfit when we raced and 
um, yeah, things just didn't come together like we had hoped. And that was just harder to deal with because I think everyone was super excited. Um, mm. And, yeah, which yeah, it was, again, there was a little bit harder. Which, I mean, back to what we're saying about Rio, though, the hunger, which, again, fire lit underneath. I mean, that, that seemed to work a little bit there in Birmingham. But, I mean, does that push you towards Paris, given that also – I guess the the weirdness about having a five year gap between one Olympics is now we've only got a three year gap. So at the time of us recording mm. this, it's less than two years to Paris. So is that kind of just drives mm-hmm. you even further towards another Olympics? Yeah, it does. And I think now that um, you know, I definitely needed a change after Tokyo mentally from the track, and that's why I went onto the road. And I'm now riding with Black Exchange Jayco on the road, and which is a women's professional team, and. I really needed that change because I was just over the repetitiveness of the track in Adelaide and going to the track at nine, back home at six. Like I needed to switch things up a bit. And, yeah, so now based in Europe doing that, um, yeah, racing the road. But also now that things have changed and maybe given out results in Tokyo, um, the outlook in which we approach some races is, is quite different as well. So we are supporting, um, you know, athletes that race the road that also want to race the track. Um, so I'm able now to still live over here and and race for my, my professional team, but also I'm able to go and race some World Cups, but I'm not required to be in Adelaide, you know, 24-7. Mm. Um, just because they've, uh, we found out that potentially like the road may help the track as well and given – the fitness and everything you have from the road transferring back onto the track. Um, this year was a bit of a trial year to see how that would go, and I think it's been pretty successful. So hopefully, yeah, for the next couple of years going to Paris, then, yeah, we can continue this kind of momentum and um, be able to do both the road and, and the track because I think they do definitely help each other. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on how all that goes, obviously, in the lead-up to Paris. Georgia, but before I let you go, I've got to ask one question because I'm trying to start a weird campaign here in a, in a, in a weird way, so bear with me with this. There, there has never in the okay. history of the Olympic Games been a Tasmanian Winter Olympian. Now, I know there's a bit of transition when it comes to some cyclists will cross over to speed skating. And I don't know if you've ever mm. thought about this or you've ever tried your hand at skating uh, on that side of things, but I'm just thinking that post-Paris, you win your, win your three gold at Paris or however many you win, you know, great, fantastic, you're celebrating. Maybe switch. Think about switching to speed skating and create history. You could be Tasmania's first ever Winter Olympian because it's not going to be me, sadly. I'd love to be, but, you know, I'm a little bit late to the table. But I don't know how you feel about this if you've ever thought about switching to a winter sport, but there could be history to be made. Oh, wow. I can't believe I'm just... Yeah, mind blown that that has not a Tasmanian. Every state and territory in Australia. Yeah, even Northern Territory has a a Winter Olympian, but Tasmania hasn't. So we're the only state of territory in the country that's not had a Winter Olympian. Oh, wow. Well, now Mm. that you say that, no. (laughs) I I feel like I'd get caught up in my legs. I don't think I'd be good at speed skating. <laughs> I mean, um, the, the other option is, is, is the other option though. You could create double history: ski jumping. Australia, the only sport at the Winter Olympics we've not had an athlete in is ski jumping. So there's another du- dual is history. Is that like Eddie the Eagle? Just like Eddie the Eagle, exactly. Yes. Well, mm. yeah. So I could be the next Eddie the Eagle. I reckon you but. could be. That you'd have a movie made after you. Hugh Jackman would be in it. You'd probably get to meet him. So you know, there's benefits for everyone. Yeah, look, I haven't been. I've always think that winter Olympians and like snowboarders, ski jumpers, all of that are just so badass as well. Like, I think it would be so cool to do a sport like that. There I just have go. never like it's one of those things that I feel like you need to start off really young, and you well, just need to be good at it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was water when she switched. Well, water. Well, there you go. Yeah. That works. So that yeah. I mean, switch it over to snow. It's kind of the same, sort of. Yeah. You know. Some people might yeah, argue with well, that, but uh, just I, I thought I would, I would start to. this cool. start this campaign, George. If it's not you through the TIS, maybe just kind of funnel it out there because I want to see a Tasmanian Winter Olympian in my lifetime. I think we need to make this happen. No, definitely, I agree. I'll talk to the TIS. I'll talk to Jeff. Nah, good. Yeah, <laughs> um, well, exactly. No, I definitely think there could be some because I I do think there is a very good 
like there's a lot of studies that say like you said that the transition between the two are like mm. the speed skating and the cycling mm. we just need a speed Le- skating rink whatever leg you, day what helps right yeah it's, it's yes. just kind of yeah. that that goes that way with that as well georgia this has been a lot of fun for, for people who are listening and watching right now if they want to sort of stay up to date with uh what you're up to at the moment social media websites anything where people can uh, follow you online um yeah so just on my instagram usually is what i keep up to date most of the time um it's just georgia baker underscore um and that's kind of where i keep my day-to-day life and what i'm doing and what i'm up to perfect um, but yeah simple Awesome. Georgia, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate the time and uh, we're going to keep an eye on you uh, all the way out through to Paris with those gold medals. And then, yeah, what, 2030, let's make it. Vancouver, you'll you'll be uh, there in the Winter Olympics uh, representing Tassie uh, with the green and gold. How does that sound? Oh, geez, that'd be my fourth. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Casual four Olympics. That's fine. I'll be getting on by that time. And then keep going to Brisbane. Only two more years after that. Back on the bike. (laughs) Well, simple. Maybe I'll do the speed skating transition. Yeah, after exactly. Paris yeah, have that. Have yeah. like six we'll years see. off, and sort of between Paris and then twenty thirty, and then get back on the bike so you can retire with all your gold medals in the home Olympics in Brisbane. So <laughs> it's, it's, oh God, I think I'd be bloody forty by then. I don't know. If nah, I could that's do- young. <laughs> Andrew Hoy, Andrew Hoy, George is in his sixties. Come on, like you know, he's still winning medals. Yeah. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. (laughs) (laughs) And a massive, massive thanks to George there for her time. I'm telling you now that if I I can't be Tasmania's first ever Winter Olympian, I still have hope. I still have hope. But got to sell it out there to our other Tasmanian athletes. So uh, if... If I can't do it, Georgia might be the first. And if Georgia can't be the first, then maybe she can uh, get the appetite wet there at the Tasmanian Institute of Sport to uh, put the idea out there. But big thanks to Georgia for her time. And as I said in that interview, we very much look forward to seeing her journey through to Paris and beyond. And as always, if you like listening to the audio of this and want to see Georgia, see the interview itself uh, in a visual form, YouTube, search for Off the Podium, subscribe to us while you're there. And uh, not only can you see George's interview, you can see all our other fantastic interviews that we have coming up as well. If you don't want to miss any of those in the audio form, remember to subscribe on all the good podcast channels. Mash the subscribe, leave us some feedback while you're there. We really would appreciate hearing what you think of the show. It does help us get a little bit more exposure out there, and we obviously always appreciate that. And social media Find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and as I just mentioned, YouTube. Search for Off The Podium. Remember, send us a message. Let us know what you think of the show. Maybe you know a Tasmanian out there who would be good in Winter Olympics. Maybe you are a Tasmanian and you're good at bobsled or you're good at mogul skiing and perhaps we can uh, hook you up with the right people to get you going to Milan and beyond. So uh, let us know that and let us know what you think of the show and uh, who you want on the show. Maybe you want us to track down someone. We always uh, will do our very best to do that along the way. Next week... Wow, we have a massive interview coming your way. Beyond excited to bring you our next guest. And, of course, I'm going to tease. I'm not even going to spoil it, even though I really, really, really want to. I will say that our next guest is a multiple Olympic medalist. They are the leading Olympic medalist in the history of their country having won more Olympic medals than any other Olympian from their entire country. The country they are from is one of the two main countries that is represented on this very show. And this person led to one of our hosts throwing a chair during the Tokyo Olympics. I'm sure by now you're going to guess who that is, but it is an absolutely massive interview, one of the biggest ones than we have ever had on Off The Podium, and I definitely know you are going to want to tune in for that one. I would love to spoil it for you. I really, really would. I think you're going to guess it, but I don't want to be completely cruel and have you hanging on the edge of your seat to get into it and listen to next week. That's simple. And also, I don't really want to put out a spoiler alert for you out there. Of course, that doesn't make sense, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. That's it. That's my tease. That's all well and truly done for you, of course. So that's next week. And after that, we are only mere weeks away, of course, now from the World Cup in Qatar. 
And as you, I'm sure, know, if you've been listening to our show for quite some time, we are covering our very first Men's Soccer World Cup. We are very excited for this. We'll be doing this over a series of weeks. So we'll be taking a bit of a break from the interviews and bringing you some good old coverage of this. And so pumped and excited. Of course, we're going to have Colin and Jared back. We're going to be doing a weekly episode during the World Cup and talking everything to do, mainly, of course, with Australia and Canada, given that's uh, where our shows are from. Our show is from both those countries. But talking all the other things along the way with the World Cup too. It's going to be a unique time talking about it, particularly with two guys, as I keep saying, not the biggest soccer fans. They uh, don't often follow the World Cup. So it's going to be interesting to get their perspective and see how they take it. And also, I'm very intrigued to see, after more than a decade of intrigue, about Qatar hosting the World Cup. I still remember when it was announced. Australia, of course, could have been hosting the World Cup in a few weeks, but ultimately we lost out to Qatar. And after all the controversy, everything that happened when the country was announced as a World Cup host, it is going to be intriguing to just see how it all happens. So, so much to come from the World Cup in only a couple of weeks' time. Stay tuned for that, as well as our other great interviews that we've got before that happens. Big thanks again to Georgia and to everybody for listening to this interview. Remember to send a shout-out. Well, I, I, I have to send the shout-out, but while I'm at sending the shout-out, you can send the shout-out too to the Birmingham Bull. There you go, everybody, collectively right now. Thanks, Birmingham Bull, for being a bull and everything. I should have asked Georgia about how she uh, she took the Birmingham Bull. Oh, well, we'll have to get on the show. The exclusive interview, Georgia Baker talks about the Birmingham Bull. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm leaving. Trust me, I'm shutting up. This has been Off the Podium, and remember to go left. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so.